Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. My name's Christina, and I am the blogger behind We Are Living Art. And my name's Danielle, and I'm the blogger behind All Things Coveted. Are we bloggers? Are we influencers? We don't even know. Content creators, all of the above. All of the above. Um, but we're here to share the inside scoop of all of that for you guys so you know exactly what the fuck is going on. All right, guys, so welcome back to another episode of In Case You Haven't Heard. Did you miss us? I hope you did. Um, For those of you who are new, my name is Christina, and I am a blogger, designer, and creator behind Wear Living Art and have a clothing line called Lorena. And my name is Danielle. I am the blogger, creator, content creator behind All Things Coveted. I'm a stylist. I also have a networking event called Saturday Social TO. Definitely check it it out. (laughs) Uh, We are having our next event in May, so... Super exciting. Hopefully some of you guys can come out. It's just a networking event for creatives and entrepreneurs to get inspired, motivated, and obviously take away some key educational points along the way. In Toronto? In Toronto. So how was your week? What's new? I feel like this week has been going by very quickly. It feels like it was like last weekend when it was a long weekend and it was short. Yeah. So we crammed everything in because I feel like we've seen each other every day almost this week. Pretty much. Loved the spin class that we went to last night we went to a spin class at the top of the cn tower which was beautiful and it was sunset yeah so spinco had their fifth anniversary spinco is the canadian soul cycle i would say i would say so even though soul cycle has a couple locations here spinco focuses on most of our provinces so there's a lot of studios across the city and it's really cool because you can just use your membership for anyone so if you go to vancouver you go to montreal like you can use it oh you can yeah so i'm actually going to montreal today i'm catching the train at five and i am doing a couple classes there and it's like right by my friend's house which is amazing that is so key that you can use your membership at multiple locations because it kind of does discourage you from getting a membership if you can only use it for one one location totally um but yeah it was it was their fifth anniversary so they rented out the entire top well a top room in the cn tower looking out right next to the sky deck right was it the sky deck that we're on the level i don't know why more people don't have events there it's gorgeous i think they probably just thought it it was probably really expensive but i think They had classes all throughout the day, like every few hours, but... I was like, no, Danielle, we should do the 630 because as soon as the sun is setting, it's going to be glorious. And the energy in the room was actually incredible. I don't know. You say you like, I don't know, because you don't get into these kinds of workouts. Okay, so here's the thing for me with spin. I like spin, but for some reason, after a spin class, obviously, like my legs and my body does feel tired, but not as much as other workouts that I do. Like I feel it only in my legs. Okay. So the rest of my body, it doesn't feel like a full body workout it just Mm. feels like I'm probably not 
doing it correctly. I feel like there's not really a proper way to do it. There's obviously, you can stay on the beat better and like be more coordinated, which is hard sometimes with how fast they go. But other than that, I feel like I literally came out of the workout. You're like, I feel like I'm on some sort of drug. Oh my God, you guys, the high when you have a good workout with a full class is actually insane, especially in spin. That's what I always liked about it. I would do it at like 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m. when I was going consistently. And I just, I don't know, you can literally get in your zone. You can manifest, you can just feel and like tap into your highest self. I also come out dripping sweat. Like I feel like I got the best workout of my life. I did feel like I sweat and my hair is pretty I wet after. It's like not you that I don't squeeze sweat. the water. Yeah, the sweat, sorry. And, and, I, and the worst part is that I didn't wash it when I got home. It doesn't look bad. It doesn't look bad. It's cause I washed it earlier in the day cause I stupidly did a workout in the morning at 45. Yeah, I don't know. It was a really great concept and I think Spinco did an incredible job and I think a lot of people are going to be talking about it for a while, which is probably part of the sort of momentum they wanted from Oh, from for the event. sure. Yeah. And I imagine the like 6 a.m. or sun sunrise sun one. Sarah went, Sarah Meehan. Oh. And she, oh, she posted Plus, photo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's a Toronto blogger. It looked insane. It was, I think it was equally as incredible as yeah. ours, TBH, so. Well, anyways, so getting into this week's episode, so excited. Another guest. Yes. Uh, we have another guest on today named Harrison Newlands. He is multifaceted. So he is Fire and Flowers Director of Business Development, Hoshi International's Director of Strategic Relations, and an investor in multiple other things. So we're so excited and privileged to have him on the podcast today. We won't get into too much detail on what he does, but it is in the sort of cannabis world, um, which is a super hot topic right now, especially in Canada, where this whole legalization thing just kind of became more prevalent. So excited to see what he has to say. Okay, we have a Harrison here now. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So um, why don't you give us a little bit of an intro on who you are, what you do. Sure, yeah. Uh, started out coming out of Guelph University, not sure what I really wanted to do. Took a chance, went into the financial world and worked down on Bay Street. And from there, that's when kind of the cannabis industry was just starting out. And I took a chance, left the Bay Street kind of safe job and entered the cannabis world. Didn't really have a full income at that time and came aligned with a guy named Harvey Shapiro who ends up being one of my partners and a mentor to me. And that's when he told me about how the margin and the evolution of the cannabis industry, that the next phase was going to be retail. And so him and I started and financed a company called Fire and Flower, which today is Canada's largest retailer by store, by revenue. And we just did a massive deal with Kushtard Circle K, uh, where it will allow them to increase ownership up to 51%. And at the same time, we started a new company called Hoshi International, which is our international cannabis company. And that's kind of where we saw the next evolution. At the same time, we might be starting a couple more companies, and I finance VC style, so venture capital, a couple of things outside the cannabis space just for fun. And one of the ones I'm most excited about is probably the electric jet ski, snowmobile, and boat company manufacturing out of Montreal called Tiger Motors. Okay, well, that was very elaborate. Thank you. Why don't we go back to kind of how you got into cannabis from finance? Because mm-hmm. that's a completely 180, right? Yeah, it was funny how it worked out. So I was on Bay Street when I was down there, the cannabis industry, like I said, was just emerging. All these companies were just going public. And for me, it was kind of natural that I saw the industry evolving like that. I still remember everyone, even my own parents, didn't think it was going to work out, didn't think that it was actually going to go legal, and didn't think it was going to have this effect and this degree. So topped in because I knew the amount of people that I knew personally that were using it. 
and it just made too much sense to me for it not to be a market. And you kind of saw how it was going back and forth in the U.S. and the various states, especially California, and how much demand there was. So when I had the opportunity just to get a foot in the door, I just jumped at it and never looked back. So at the beginning, was it really hard to convince other people to invest in Fire & Fire oh, because of yeah. this? So especially with our age group, when I had to go ask people for money or whoever it was. So how spot, old were you when you started just our listeners? Probably, so I would have been 26, yeah. 26? Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, so you, you're hitting up your friends, your friends' families, and they're like, well, what does this guy know? What does this kid know? Why, why should I give him my money? Like, it, it seems a little risky. And then you go to financial people and bankers and everyone down on Bay Street, smart money, we call it, and you try to convince them how to invest your money. And my personal network was a bunch of athletes that I had to reach out to, young guys who had made a bunch of money. And even then, their day-to-day activities always didn't trust financial expert. And I had to deal with a lot of those guys and, and trying to convince them to part with their clients' money. It was not the easiest thing. But, uh, you know, I think the ones that supported us and invested are extremely glad and proud of the story and what we created. That's awesome. So there's a storefront of Fire & Flower on Bloor & Bay, right? Yeah. Like, so now you're in a lottery. Is that what it is? Yeah, so in most of the provinces across Canada, it was application-based. So in Ontario specifically, it was more difficult because they did this lottery. So the first lottery was 25. What do you mean 25? Like I don't... Yeah, they only give out 25 licenses for all of Ontario. Oh, just for stores, for cannabis stores, yeah. storefronts. Yeah, so that okay. worked out to, I think it was, I can't remember if it was all to 25 or to 75 now that there are through the lottery. Per year. Yeah, or just you don't even know. When they decide. I think it was like 100,000 people per stores Ontario, which doesn't make any sense. The way they did the lottery was like, you could have five in the east, seven in the west, five or so in Toronto. And then if you if you gave out these lottery licenses like this to people that don't know how to operate, know nothing about cannabis, but heard there was a bunch of money to be made, you're almost letting the black market thrive in a way because the risks increase like incredibly to the point where Guelph and Waterloo had massive markets in Ontario and university campuses where you know they're going to drive the demand. We're lacking a store because everyone went to London and everywhere else and especially in the West, too, where everyone opened up in Ottawa and Kingston. So is that why so many stores, like, kept opening and closing, like, cannabis stores? Because I know there's, like, a lot that... Those are the illegal ones. Okay, yeah. so can you kind of differentiate how people can get away with that for yeah. like a certain period of time? So the illegal ones that have been popping up all over Toronto, getting shut down, reopening, all they had to do was pay, I think it was, like, $10,000 fine a week. But these stores, they can sell anything they want, they can do anything they want. So whereas my legal stores can't sell edibles, topicals, all that stuff until December, they've been allowed to maximize their profit on that and offer a product that we can't. So driving demand to those stores on a cost comparison, possibly a little bit cheaper in terms of product, but they have really been able to pop up. And there's one specifically that has three or four stores in Toronto that's made millions and millions of dollars operating. And $10,000 fine on a weekly basis is absolutely nothing. Nothing to them. And so those are the ones that sell like the cookies and the gummies and stuff. That's See, that's the stuff that I like to consume in terms of cannabis because I don't really like to smoke weed, but I like the edibles. But again, they're not technically legal. That's a big thing too. And especially for the elderly population who don't want to roll a joint or don't want to smoke and consume is that they've been turned off by cannabis because they didn't have the right proper consumption methods or something that they enjoy. So this new market opening up within the topicals, the gel caps has already been here, topicals, edibles, and all these new things that are coming to the market. I've seen like those Listerine patches or things that you Oh, like the strips? Yeah. That they but just how like, are get they you even, high? Oh, yeah. yeah, how are they oh even um, <laughs> like governing edibles? Yeah, so it's, uh, 
I'm not the best numbers guy when it comes oh, okay. to this, but I think it's like 10 milligrams per per edible concentrate topical or whatever it be. And that kind of rolls over to the pre-rolls as well. So on the pre-roll side, you could have one of these joints or you could split that amount that you're allowed across multiple joints. So there was a company that I'm fairly aligned with called ReadyCan. They're probably one of the cheapest, lowest cost producers that I know of in Ontario. And they came to the market just last week with a pack of 10 pre-rolls. So not the full amount in one, but spread across the 10. And it was their kind of unique approach to the market. When you were first getting involved in Fireflower and you were sourcing, how are you sourcing the plants? So we took a different approach from a lot of our competitors. There's a reason to it, and I'll get to that in a second. So we stayed fully retail. We never went into cultivation. We never did anything else other than we are just the basic LCBO beer store. We just right. sell whatever sells, any brand, any product, and we didn't really take any alignment with anyone. However, when the raises were happening, who had all the money that the investors had given to? It was all the cultivators and all the growers, the Canopies of the World, the Auroras, Afria, Hexa. So for me, a young guy trying to go in and get money, I could go to 100 different investors and try to raise a boatload of money, or I could go to somebody that already had too much money and didn't know what to do with and wanted to sell their product. So my little idea was to hit up all these LPs that had money and that kind of built into something that was much larger than it was meant to be. So we got 10 million from Hexo, 10, which is Hyde Apothecary, Quebec based uh, grower, 10 million from Afria, Emblem, Terracent invested, New Strike invested, which is now Hexo. And that really played an effect in the regulations that we saw popping up fully by chance. Whereas in BC, if you are vertically integrated, meaning that if you grow, if you retail and produce product and brands, you can't actually sell your own product on your shelves. And then in Ontario, also being vertically integrated, you only allowed one store. So us being fully independent of any connection to any vertically integrated company, our cultivator allowed us to build out our stores in such a way that really made us fully independent and perfect beer store model for the consumer. But are you saying now that like the companies that you ended up aligning with were these cultivators? Yeah. So your biggest investors were those? Yeah, they came overall. in for a sizable amount okay. and it really brought everyone together. So originally the for retail in Canada, they brought all the growers together under an association and that association wanted to do the retail model and control it. That changed because none of them could work together. So we found a way to bring everyone to the table to work together to build the Canadian cannabis retail market. So from pitching, they're trying to find seed money from investors that are like friends and family mm -hmm. to then moving into, you know, finding investors by aligning yourself with cultivators. Now you have your storefront. So the store that Danielle actually brought up, I live on Bloor and I've seen that shop not open for, <laughs> for months. so long. It's, I feel like it's been <laughs> over a year now. Easily over a year. Yeah. So now you're paying rent, oh letting God, it sit yeah. there. Yeah. Bay and Bloor, so that must not be cheap. Yeah, 95 Bloor Street. It's across from the Beside whole Beside MCM. Yeah. yeah. The yeah, we signed that last Christmas. Last Christmas. Yeah, or just before then, because I remember when it took a picture out front. All yeah, yeah. <laughs> Little so, did you know. So for the people who have won the lottery, mm -hmm. is there some way that you can buy? Yeah, so we partnered with two. We got okay. Ottawa and Kingston, both great stores, both great locations, and we found great partners there. Okay, With I see. some of these other ones, it is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. I had a guy call me and say, for $20 million, I'll let you put my license in your Blue Street store. It makes no sense. Why would I ever do that? It doesn't make any financial sense. Your license isn't even worth $20 million because as soon as they open up this lottery to an application stage, I'll open up a store right beside you. Some of the other markets in Canada did lottery. 
Manitoba did one. They gave out four master licenses, which were only publicly traded companies at the time. So the only reason we didn't get one of those was because we weren't public and we we're still a private entity. So it was National Access, Tokyo Smoke, and Delta 9. Tokyo Smoke, I know that one. Yeah. <laughs> one thing you know. They were doing so, well, right? Yeah, so they were bought by Canopy for a couple hundred million. Okay. That was probably our biggest uh, competitor up until the fact that they went vertically integrated and they're now their channel conflicted in BC and Ontario. Okay. Um, but they do have a leg up to us on, in Manitoba where they have one of those master licenses. To my understanding, is there only one store that's not open yet that you want to open and that's the first one? Or do you have stores... In other yeah. locations across Canada Oh, already. yeah, we have 30 stores open probably today. 30 stores. And how many unopened in the same situation as Toronto? We have a couple leases that we're sitting on that we don't want to give up. That's just been an incredible kind of marketing thing to the point where even if it's not open, people are waiting for it. They want to see it. We've made a statement across Canada with that, having one on the, I think it's called the Mink Mile. Well, it's such a controversial <laughs> location because it, oh. all the high-end luxury stores are there and then you have Fireflyer right in the middle of it. Which is great, honestly. Yeah. For any of you who aren't from Toronto, Bloor Street, Bloor West, between Bay and Avenue mm-hmm. is like all the, like Versace, the biggest Dior flagship in North America, just opened there. We have Gucci, Chanel. Actually, no, Chanel is in New York. Yeah, Hermes. Yeah, Yeah. it's just like the hottest spot. So it's definitely an iconic location. I mean, to look at it in a positive light, yeah, for marketing. It's great. Oh, yeah, yeah it's marketing. A huge wise, marketing expense, you're using up most of your marketing budget on, <laughs> on uh, the fire and flowers. So as of right now, I think we have 23 stores open and operating in Alberta. We're trying to expand into BC. In the Yukon, we have one. In the store. Yukon. Yeah, we're up there. No way. One in Manitoba and six to seven in Saskatchewan, and then two in Ontario, and then aggressively expanding. We want to have 150 to 200 stores across Canada. We want to be anywhere and everywhere across the globe where we can bring the retail model and benefit and be able to provide our customers that same fire and flower experience across the board. And that was one thing fire and flower really stood for and wanted to do at the beginning was to make all our stores look, feel the same way. That if you went to a McDonald's in one place and went to a McDonald's in another place, Mm -hmm. it was the same fries, it was the same friendly staff and the same experience. That's what we really wanted to do and push that and education at the same time. And I think that's really what set us apart is those two things. Would you say that like Fire and Flower has had very, very rapid growth? Oh my God, yeah. We wanted to be the fastest growing retail company in Canada. Oh, that was the objection, okay. And we were on the pace to do that until some of the regulations and supply shortages. We were going so fast that we wanted to have 150 stores open within a year. So before getting into Fire & Flyer, did you find investors for any other companies? Like, were you familiar with the whole process? Yeah, so when I was working on Bay Street, I was on the buy side. So there's brokerage houses and banks and they promote these companies and they, they try to sell you on these deals. And we had a couple of people coming by from one in particular that were selling and pushing the cannabis space. So I had been involved in kind of the deal making process and seeing deals, what questions to ask, how to raise money, kind of who to go to in the market. And kind of once you have the eyes open and doors open to the Bay Street or the Canadian kind of financial system and, you know, the companies and the investors, it's pretty much the same people that you're going to with all the money, whether it be funds, the banks, brokerage houses, who either invest or point you in the right direction or help kind of walk you around the street. And then now your main focus is it's diverse, right? Like you're yeah. involved in Fire and Flower, you're involved in Hoshi, you're yeah. involved in the motor company. Would you consider yourself also an investor on your own terms? Oh, yeah. 
So the, the group that started all these different companies, we usually partner and show deals to each other, which we get, and we try to stay close to each other because we seem to have success sticking together. So it's all under one entity, basically? Sometimes. Okay. Sometimes we come in and partner, and sometimes we don't. So on the electric jet ski one, Taiga, there was only two of the four partners that came in and financed that one, and I was one of them. I won't name the other one, but he's been super successful in the Canadian cannabis space. And then from that, some of us might be starting a new company that you might be seeing fairly soon. So your day-to-day or your daily routine, like, like uh, what is a day in the life of Harrison? Number one thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I check the news. Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't check the news at all. I have, <laughs> I have five to six websites that I repeat every single morning when I'm in bed. Yeah. It doesn't matter if I read the articles, I'll know the title. And from okay. the title, I'll be able to pretty much summarize. And then I'll keep it open throughout the day and I can go back and read it. So what are those? So Business Insider. So I get the okay. kind of global... You were making fun of me for pulling up a business insider. No, business, business insider is great. Business insider is great. Yeah, no, I just thought it was funny because we were on the podcast recording and you pulled up an article. Always. Uh, okay. Uh, so business insider. Business insider, financial post, BNN, Reddit, wheat, wheat stocks is a really good one. Okay. Like, and you get all these people just posting as soon as it comes out. So I get news right away across the entire sector, cultivators, retailers, market analysis, everything. I check the price of gold because it has an effect on the economy and everything else. So if it's down or it's up, I can tell kind of which way the market's going on a day-to-day basis and whether it's going to be a good day for cannabis or a bad day. Routers.com, which is Thompson Routers, similar to Bloomberg, and Bloomberg's probably the one you have to pay for, and I, I'm pretty cheap. So. <laughs> well, I think you have enough information with the other side. Yeah. But it's so interesting how, like, see, for me, the last thing I would do is actually go on my phone first thing in the morning because, well, it, like, raises cortisol, all these things, yeah. especially to do social media, but because how your product is going to do within the economy is the major driving force for the success of your company. It's so important for you to do every day. Yeah, factors in almost everything I do. And then I'll check my emails. If there's something urgent and important, I'll check it and and I'll respond back. If not, I'll wait till I get into the office and sit down on my computer, have had a coffee and everything else. Social media, I try to avoid because you get stuck in that vortex where you're either checking it on daily, like constantly, like every hour. Hourly then, basis, not daily, like hourly, by by hourly or every fucking and then 10 you have, minutes. Like, yeah, and then you're stuck on it and you're like, what oh, I, I gotta get back to work. So I think that happens to everyone. But yeah. uh, you know, a really good news source, which I don't think gets utilized in the way it's supposed to, is Twitter. I go to Twitter and you go to the search and you just see what's trending. I don't think I follow anyone, to be honest. I don't even tweet. I just check for news. And even extremely good for hyper-local news. So if I'm driving and I see something or a big crowd at Young and Eglinton and I want to know what's going on there, I just type in Young and Eglinton and it comes up. Because you get it from the people's perspective who are there passing by on the street. I think that's the way I grab my hyper-local news if something's going on in that area. The best story when it comes to Twitter and local news is I was driving up the 400 this summer into dead stop traffic. My way stopped working because the satellite and there were so many people in that area right. that it just like jammed the system. So I went to Twitter and I checked on Twitter and that's how I got my play-by-plays, how long I was going to be there for, what had happened, everything. Right. And what had happened was a tire from uh, oncoming traffic had gone over and hit a car. And, and so we were stuck in traffic for about four hours there, a helicopter landed. Wow. I believe everyone survived though, so that's good. So something we like to ask on every podcast, what are some misconceptions that you've heard so many times that you always have to kind of deal with, whether it's pitching investors or just kind of educating people that you know about what you do? Everyone thinks that they can do whatever it is you do and that it's easier whatever it is. When I was first telling everyone we were opening a cannabis store, it seemed like more people, their dads, their brothers were like, oh yeah, I'm going to do it too. Like, uh, I know retail, I know this and that. And how many of them have actually opened a store? But there were so many sniffing around trying to get kind of what was going on behind the scenes that 
what we were up to at Fire and Flower. Uh, so that was a little bit frustrating. You think you, you know somebody and you, you think they're there to help you, but sometimes they're just more worried about their own self-interest. And then on a day-to-day basis, I would just say the misconception is, is that like it's not really a nine-to-five. Starting a company, it's... it's You're no, an entrepreneur. No, you don't clock in, you don't clock mm-hmm. out. Yeah. There's never any set day. Like today, I'm just running around the city. i got to go back for my next meeting for the new company we're starting. This morning, I was building out a business plan for Hoshi and kind of how all the different steps are going to play into a role. That's probably going to take me about a week or two to finish. And chances are I won't be doing it too much during the day and it'll be at home while I'm watching in the background a Leaf game. Or When you talk about the office, what is the office? So we wanted to really build this Alberta homegrown story. So we hired all Albertans for Fire and Flower. Uh, we built a company out of Alberta. We used the local banks there. And uh, really, it was just a satellite office, which we had here, which was me and the chairman, the CFO and the CEO. And then slowly as Ontario and all the other markets started opening up, we really had to expand the team in Toronto to be able to kind of handle all and assess everything that was going on nationwide. Where our office is at Young and St. Clair, but we had to basically move the Fire and Flower team and office downtown. I think they're still in the IQ office space above Earl's just because they're getting so big and they're taking over our space at Young and St. Clair. Okay. And then Young and St. Clair is where me, Harvey, uh, the chairman of Fireflower, my main partner, all these different ventures operate out of as well as the Hoshi team. So for someone who is starting out as an entrepreneur, as an investor, what are some of your tips that you can give? Or even if someone wants to open up a storefront, get into the cannabis industry, what are your tips on finding investors? Because I know that's something that I, mm-hmm. and that's something I'm looking at. Like I have a business as well. I have a clothing line that I started yeah. and it's, there's only so many funds you can invest on your own. And it's like, when is it time to bring other people on? What I think me and my team are really good at is like, we'll start these companies. We'll put in our own money to start. We'll get it to a certain point. And then obviously we're going to need outside capital. So we try to de-risk it as much as possible so that when we do go to investors, they kind of see the growth and kind of what's to come and what's happening next. And with that, we've been able to have a proven track record of delivering returns to our investors as well as growing companies and creating really successful brands and companies. So it's building that trust and that relationship as well as de-risking that you could go to an investor, a family friend, or whoever it be. I mean, everyone's only one person away. So you, you just never know whose door you're going to knock on. And you want to take every opportunity as it is. The other day, I was trying to build up the network for Tiger Motors and help the team and because they're going to be doing a raise soon. So I've taken them around Bay Street downtown, introduced them all the bankers, venture capital uh, firms, hedge funds, uh, and just some private investors. So we did that, and we we're having pretty good track record and success. And I felt I've really u- learned to use LinkedIn and really well. Okay. I connected with this guy on LinkedIn. He's a VC uh, as well as a pretty successful author out of LA. Just reached out to him blind, added him, sent him a message, said this is what I was doing, was it interested in him? But I already knew it was because I looked up kind of his background and what he had done and I knew quite a bit about him. And just the other day I hopped on a phone with him. He sits on the board for Fisker, Hyperloop, Damon Motorcycles, and he's really big into the electric EV space. Uh, and we had a very successful conversation at the point where him and his clients and his network are interested in kind of what we're doing. So we'll see where that one goes. You want to de-risk it as much as you can when growing a company and starting out to the point where you can confidently go to an investor because at the end of the day, you do not want to deal with the feeling of losing somebody else's money other than your own. 
It's a completely different experience. Yeah. Like when Fire and Flower first went public and I had people invest just before and the stock went down, like it was the worst experience. And you can't go back to those people asking for more money. Right. But I knew deep down that we had built a great company, have great management team and team in place, that the company was on its way and path to succeed and that the day-to-day market wasn't going to affect it. And sure enough, that's kind of where we've gone since. Amazing. So the tips would be know the people that you're yeah, definitely. to contact. Yeah. Know them before how you said you knew what the guy was going to be yeah. interested in before you contacted them. And then also... Make it as risk-free yeah. as possible. Yeah. So whether that's trademarks, patents, having the right IP in place, having the right team in place, having some sort of competitive advantage as Warren Buffett says on both, and then just being able to show them your path to growth. So there's another company who I actually met at your last Saturday Social that I really want to get involved with and help kind of pull the pieces together because I think it's a great company, there's a great leader in place, and I think it's a force to be reckoned with. And then also something that you said at Saturday Social that really resonated with me is like finding the right people for the job Oh yeah. and knowing that you can't do it all and you're not the best at everything. So hiring those people and having them in place can take the business from... 100%. I can't build a financial model. There's somebody better than me at doing that. I don't even know the right people to hire, but I know that if I hire a good HR team that don't know exactly what I need and be able to figure it out. So at Fire and Flower, I think we have one of the best HR teams out there in the industry. We have one of the best store design teams. We took them from one of the guys, Isaac, from Lululemon. We got great operators. We brought over from Alcana, which is it's the LCBO of the West. So we brought oh, him over. Not the SAQ. No, that's no. that's Quebec. So we took one of their chief operating officers or VP operations, uh, and he's a chief operating officer, Mike Bioncheck, and he is a rock star. Like opening stores deliverables on returns. The CFO for the head of the finance department we took, uh, she came from Canadian Tire, Law Laws. So people with big backgrounds who have been successful that can help push the story and pick up on all the pieces that everyone else, you just want to stay in your lane and that's the way you get work done. Okay, so now we're going to talk about assumptions people may have about the cannabis industry. We pulled on Instagram to see yeah. who would answer. And we'll just pick one that's like pretty, I don't know, that I think's pretty interesting. So this person wrote in, it trades at a crazy high, no pun intended, multiple but great stock for early investors. Like anything in the cannabis space, it's a startup, it's new, it's emerging. It's gonna take a while to become profitable as a company. I think we're well on our way there in the very near term, possibly within the new year. There's a certain store amount that we have to have open to be able to break even and get cash flow positive. Okay. And we're working towards that as any startup company. It took Uber, it took Facebook, Amazon, all these companies burning loads of cash to be able to get profitability and to be able to get growth. Yeah, I think it's a growth company, but I think we de-risk it to the point where we have the most stores open. On average, our stores are generating on a yearly annualized basis, a few million dollars, depending obviously on location and then the factors in how much we pay to build it out, everything else. But I would say compared to a lot of other companies in the cannabis industry, that it would be a race to the bottom in terms of cultivation. It's just going to be who's the lowest cost producer and be able to do it at scale. And then you're going to get these craft growers, similar to how you got in the beer industry, these craft brewers who have the high quality product and demand a high price. And then you get the retailers. In the retail space, it's going to be who can do it best, who is the best location, and who can do it cheaply and maximize profit, especially in an industry where you're seeing the death of retail in so many different markets across North America, especially in the mall base. It's going to come down to location. So if I have a store at the bottom of your condo building and there's another store Mm -hmm. a couple blocks down, you're going to go to my store first Mm -hmm. rather than walking there. So it's my opportunity to lose you as a customer. 
and we never want to lose a customer. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming today thank and spending time with us, chatting about the cannabis industry and, and telling us all your insights. Like, I'm super interested now. My my brother's always been used to like to smoke weed, and now that cannabis and business is a thing, he's really into the stocks and all that stuff. Yeah. But I just never fully educated myself, so this is a good little. Do you want to plug any social platforms or websites that people can find at you at? Fireandflower.com. Hoshi International doesn't really have a website. I think it's like hoshiinc.com, and it's just a splash page. And then if you want to follow me on Instagram, at that kid Harry. All right, thank you. And you know where to find us, guys. I'm at All Things Coveted, and I'm at We Are Living Art. And send us emails at you haven't heard podcast at gmail.com. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Bye, guys. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.